This evening on the Virtual Bible Study, we're going to go to a real old book, Bob, and try to learn some lessons from a long time ago. We're going to look at the book of Isaiah and some lessons from the great prophet Isaiah. Hang on. Let's see. We got an extra computer working there tonight, and it's talking to us. All right, so we're going to look at try to get some great lessons out of the book of Isaiah tonight. Stick with us on the Virtual Bible Study. We're ready to roll. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And again, we welcome you to the Virtual Bible Study. This is the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday night, November the 18th, 2021. November 18th, 2021. My name is Greg Gwynn. I'm one of the regular participants on the Virtual Bible Study. I'm not sitting in my usual chair. Uh, I'm sitting in Jacob's chair, who's out of pocket tonight. And in my place is my friend and brother, Bob Tidwell. Bob, welcome to the Virtual Bible Study. Uh, Hello, Greg. Okay, we're gonna, we're gonna get a lot of important input from Bob tonight as we talk about this lesson. Kyle is behind the board. Kyle, thanks for being here tonight. It's good to be here as always. Um, you know, we kind of think we've come a long way in this world. You know, we've, we feel like we're probably very advanced and sophisticated and intellectual and knowledgeable and, and people from long ago, Bob, I think people have the idea that people from long ago were sort of uninformed, uneducated, sort of simple, not really sophisticated, almost maybe like cavemen. You know, people who lived way back then just didn't hardly have enough sense to come in out of the rain, I suppose. Uh, But when we look to the Bible and we read and learn about the great Bible characters of old, we find out that we haven't really, we haven't come very far. No, we haven't. uh, even uh, the preacher would tell us in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. Yeah, so. that's exactly right. I usually try. So we're going to talk tonight about one great Old Testament character. We're going to look at a couple of texts in the early chapters of Isaiah. Now, Isaiah is a very well-known prophet, uh, a famous prophet uh, in, in the Old Testament. He prophesied about 700 years before Jesus so, so, and here we are about 2,100 years after Jesus. So Isaiah was, I, Isaiah lived and worked about 2,700, 2,800 years ago, just, just shy of 3,000 years ago. And again, as I was saying, I think a lot of people would imagine that, oh, anybody that lived that long ago, you know, didn't know anything. But Isaiah knew lots of things. But of course, Bob, the key to it is that he's an inspired man of God. That's exactly right. And uh, he had much to say. That's right. Uh, even uh, in the life of Christ, we have so much uh, brought out in prophecy. Yeah. One of the, and we're not going to talk about it tonight, but one of the most beautiful, I think probably the most beautiful prophetic passage about the suffering of Jesus is in Isaiah chapter 53. And the detail of it all is just so incredible. And actually, what's amazing is that Isaiah, when he was prophesying about how Jesus would be treated, 
how he would die, how he would be buried. He made predictions that couldn't that that a person wouldn't make if they were just making wild guesses. He he said some things that the probability of them coming true by chance very low. For instance, he prophesied that Jesus would be uh, executed as a common criminal, but he would be buried like a rich man. Well, those yeah. two things wouldn't typically go together. And so, if you were just if you were just throwing out guesses, that that wouldn't be a good guess to make. No, uh, everything that you said, everything fell right into place. It was fulfilled and. Uh, we can clearly see that as we look into the New Testament. Yeah. And, uh, but uh, not only that, but we also uh, understand through the prophet Isaiah that a new name would be given yeah. you know, in the first century, yeah. which we know and understand, you know, uh, that that happened yeah. at the church at Antioch. Yeah. Uh, so lots of things. Isaiah had a lot of things to say that actually impact us, is right. I guess what we could say. Mm-hmm. But we're going to look at two texts, one in chapter 2 and one in chapter 5. And we'll just base our study tonight on those two uh, sections of Isaiah's prophecy. There's just so much we could go to uh, in the book of Isaiah. But we're going to look at those two chapters specifically. The first of them is in Isaiah chapter 2, beginning verse 2. I'm going to read this. And then we want to talk about what in the world is he is he commenting about here? Isaiah 2, verse 2. It'll come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be uh, and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow into it. And many people shall go and say, come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God of Jacob the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Okay. Now, when I put out the update to, to our update list earlier today, I said that this was a a prophecy about the establishment of the church. Uh, and, and so I was assuming something that needs to be proven uh, and that was the first part of the question. Isaiah was clearly talking about something that was going to be coming. Uh, and, and he said that what was coming, he called it the Lord's house, the house of God. So there in verse 2 and also in verse 3, he refers to the Lord's house and the house of God. Well, what is the house of God? I wonder if a lot of people thinking about Isaiah and Isaiah being an Old Testament prophet, you read about the house of God, they might have thought maybe he's talking about the temple, yeah. the construction of the temple. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that actually had already happened. Mm-hmm. Solomon had already built the temple. So it wasn't that house that Isaiah had in mind. Uh, I really think that this is a prophecy about the church. Mm-hmm. And in the New Testament, we actually read about the church being identified in that way, the house of God or the Lord's house. In First Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, First Timothy 3, verse 15, Paul says, If I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, notice, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So if we had any question about what is the house of God, he he, he tells us right there how, how you should behave yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. Mm-hmm. So uh, that makes it really plain, I think. Uh, 
Um, another place we could go to clarify what was Isaiah talking about anyway in Ephesians 2 at verse 19. Ephesians 2, 19. Paul says, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. So here, here he talks about the household of God. And I really think that's probably the, the fuller picture. When he, when he talks about the house of God, I, I, I don't think he's talking about a physical structure. I think he's talking about a family, mm-hmm. uh, a, 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 a joint relationship. Right. And, you know. For us to have fellowship with God, we have to be in that house, yeah. which God adds us to it, as we look you know, in Acts chapter 2. Yeah. So here, uh, Isaiah is talking about the establishment of the church. And one, Bob, I think one important thing to tie in, because uh, there's a lot of confusion about the church and or the kingdom but the church and the kingdom are one and the same. That's great. Uh, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, Paul says, He delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. And so the, the, the kingdom uh, was already an establishment in the first century. It, it wasn't like, you know, uh, that's still a, a future thing. There's a lot of people who think that the kingdom hasn't really come and that the church is 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 here now but it, the kingdom will come later uh but that's not the case in luke chapter 16 verse 16 uh it says the law and the prophets were until john since that time the kingdom of god is preached and every man presses into it and so the church and the kingdom are the same and isaiah was prophesying about the coming of the church and the kingdom uh he, he called it the lord's house or the house of god but clearly, that's what he was talking about. Any thoughts on that, Bob? Yeah. Uh, well, in verse two, he's telling us about when this is going to happen. In the first part, he said it shall come to pass in the latter days. Yeah. And we we understand by the scriptures that we are in the last days. Uh, for instance, in Hebrews chapter one, you know, God spoke in times past through the prophets, so forth, like Isaiah. But now he speaks to us through his son. So he says he, he's doing that now, you know, in the latter days. So Yeah. Okay. So you're taking us to our to the second point that is really key here. Isaiah, when he was prophesying, was talking about the, the establishment of the church, the kingdom, the house of God. But as you correctly point out, he doesn't just say what's going to happen. He tells us when it's going to happen. He says this is going to happen in the last days. Now, I think if we went out on the streets and took a survey and said, what do you think What do you think it means when the Bible talks about the last days? I think the vast majority of people probably would say, well, just before the Lord comes, you know, just before the, the final judgment, just before, just before the end is the last days. Mm-hmm. But we understand properly, and I think you just pointed it out, Bob, that the last days are not talking about the immediate end of time, but are really rather talking about the last, what we often refer to as the dispensation. God has dealt with men in three dispensations, as we typically describe them. We know uh, in, in the early times of the Old Testament, God dealt directly with the 
heads of families, the patriarchs of the families. We actually call it the patriarchal age. That's our identifier. Uh, so God dealt with family heads during that that early time. That was replaced for the for the Jews for the descendants of Abraham. That was replaced by the law that God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai, mm-hmm. and so we refer to that as the Mosaic Age for for those specific people for the descendants of Abraham living in the time of Moses. God delivered a a, a new law to them, and it was a written law, the Old Testament law of Moses, and they lived under that, but. When Jesus came, when he died on the cross, he ended that time and he, he abolished that law and, and placed in its stead the new law, the, the final, the second covenant, the, the, the law of Christ. Look in Acts chapter two. I think in, in the sermon that Paul, uh, Peter, in the sermon that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, I think he really identified that. In Acts chapter two, Verse 14, uh, there were some people who, you know, the the Holy Spirit had come upon the apostles there on the day of Pentecost and they were speaking with tongues and and some some of them were even, some people in the audience were mocking and saying, these guys are just drunk. They've drunk a lot of new wine and they're they're, uh, drunk. But in Acts 2.14, Peter standing up with the eleven lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this, in other words, what's happening right here? Peter says, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last days, saith God. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy, and your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Uh, and, and so on it goes. But notice, Peter, on the day of Pentecost, 2,000 years ago, he says, what you're seeing happen right here is what the prophet Joel prophesied about that would take place in the last days. And so these are the last days. And they, and they have been the last days ever since the day of Pentecost, recorded there in Acts 2. Right. Yeah, God's not going to set up another dispensation of time in which he will, you know, reveal his will to man because it's already complete, and we have it, you know, in, in the Bible. And I really think that's the, the, the main thrust of the idea of last days. It's, uh-huh. not, it, it's not talking about you know, imminent return or the final coming and judgment. It's really talking about the final period of time, the mm-hmm. last of days and they could they could go on for much longer. We don't know. Nobody knows when these last days will end. But these are the last days of how God intends to deal with mankind. Right. And so it is the last days. So Isaiah, now we, we, we're going to take a break here, but in Isaiah 2, verses 2 and 3, he's making a prophecy. He's prophesying about the coming of the church, the house of God, the Lord's house. And we've we've explained that that's clearly a description of the church, and it was going to come in the last days. Uh, and Peter says in Acts 2 that exactly that's what did happen. Uh, we are in the last days. The church exists now in these last days. God has established the church. We're going to grab a break. When we come back, we're going to keep talking about this kind of amazing prophecy of Isaiah about the coming of the church and 
all that would be involved in that. Stick with us. We're going to be back right after this break as the virtual Bible study continues. Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. Here's a quick thought. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Psalm 19, verse 14. Are the words that you speak and the meditation of your heart pleasing to God? Do you think of the Lord as your rock and redeemer? If not, why not? Seize the day. Here's some quotes worth pondering. Don't waste your precious energy on gossip. Always, always do the right thing. It takes a great man to give sound advice tactfully, but a greater man to accept it graciously. Man, wish I'd said that. Use your internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program. And we're back on the virtual Bible study. We're talking about Isaiah, some amazing prophecies that Isaiah made 700 years before Christ, almost 3,000 years ago from now. And he made great and specific prophecies about lots of things. We're talking about right now a prophecy he made about the establishment of the church, the beginning of the church. He called it the Lord's house or the house of God. He's talking about the church that would come in the last days. Those last days began on the day of Pentecost as recorded in chapter 2 of Acts and continue. Those last days continue till even now. But what is also amazing in this prophecy, I think, is that he prophesies about where these things are going to happen. Um, you know, you might, you might think that, uh, well, in that time frame, if you're going to have some significant development, uh, surely it would be in Rome because Rome was, Rome was the, was the place to be. I mean, that, they were the seat of the Roman Empire that ruled the world of that day. Surely if you're going to have some significant thing to happen, maybe in Rome. Or, you know, Athens was a, 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 a sophisticated city in its day. A lot of a lot of philosophers and so forth in Greece and in Athens specifically. Maybe if you want to start something big, start it in Athens or Rome. But no. The prophecy of Isaiah was it's going to start in Jerusalem uh, at the end of that. Again, we're, we're focusing on Isaiah 2, verses 2 and 3. He says, out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. There's just no doubt that, that he pinpoints that Jerusalem is going to be where this all takes place. Um, Jesus uh, told the disciples before he ascended into heaven, in Luke chapter 24, beginning verse 46, he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. So Jesus pinpointed that now now the, the gospel, the gospel of salvation, repentance and remission of sin is going to be preached starting at Jerusalem. And that's what Isaiah had prophesied 700 years before anything on that bob uh yeah uh in acts chapter one uh again before you send it he he mentions uh, about them receiving the promise of the holy spirit or the comforter as he talked about in the gospel of john account and uh in verse eight he says but you 
shall receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when you study the book of Acts, you see that unfolding. And, yeah, I've always started. kind of pictured it like it ripples in a pond. You, know, mm-hmm. you, throw, you throw a rock, and, and, and the ripples just move out in concentric circles. And that's almost what he described there. Go start at Jerusalem, mm-hmm. go throughout all Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And it just keep growing, but it started in Jerusalem. And then you see the Apostle Paul at the end of the the book of Acts in Rome. Yeah. So He he finally got to Rome, but it was much <laughs> later, wasn't it? It right. was much later. So, again, it seems kind of surprising that you would make a significant development like the establishment of the church in Jerusalem. And, again, I'm I'm thinking, Bob, that that wouldn't be a, a likely guess if 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 Isaiah was not inspired and he was just making sort of random guesses about the future, I don't think probably he might have because he himself was a Jew and so he might have been prejudicial toward the Jewish state. But really, if if you're gonna if you're taking guesses about where some big significant development is going to occur, you probably pick something like Rome or Athens, but not Jerusalem. And so again, I think that's sort of a subtle sign that Isaiah was speaking by inspiration. Let me back up here and catch up with a, a couple of emailers who sent in. Um, Kent in Kowloon, Georgia, says what he was prophesying about was the kingdom of promise and prophecy, the church of Christ. He references Colossians 1, 13, 14, Hebrews 12, verses 18 through 23. He says it's going to happen in the last days, which is the last dispensation of time, the gospel age. The exact time would be during the final days of the existence of the Jewish nation. And so not only in the last days, but in the last, but in the final uh, years of the Jewish nation. And he references Joel 2, 28 through 32, Acts 2, verses 16 through 21. And as to where it was going to happen, he says in Jerusalem, in the top of the mountains, Hebrews 12, verses 18 through 24. Grant in Franklin, Tennessee says, what was coming? The mountain of the house of the Lord, the kingdom of Christ was to be established. When was it coming? It was coming in the last days. The gospel dispensation is the period of the last days. We are in the last days. Where was it going to take place? Zion, Jerusalem. We see this occurring in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost in the city of Jerusalem in approximately A.D. 30. So uh, Grant and Kent uh, uh, are in agreement with us as to the specifics, meanings of what Isaiah was prophesying about. Again, going to happen in Jerusalem. Now, what what was going to be, who, who's included in this plan? Obviously, Isaiah is talking about a plan that God has. He's going to establish his house uh, in the last days, starting in Jerusalem. Who's going to be included in this plan? And Isaiah, Isaiah's prophecy addresses that. It, it he says, all nations shall flow unto it. Um, in the Old Testament, again, this, is, this seems a, a little odd that Isaiah would say this, because in that time, and Isaiah, a Jew among the Jews, in that time, the Gentiles would, were, were pretty much excluded. Uh, uh, they, they were actually forbidden, uh, in Jerusalem, for instance, at the time of Christ, at the temple site, there was this outer court of the Gentiles 
But they were excluded. They could not come upon the, the temple grounds proper. There was a stone wall that separated the temple grounds in Jerusalem. Now, this is during the time of Christ. Uh, and uh, we, we are made to understand historically that there were signs in Greek and Latin warning that any Gentile who crossed that that barrier would be killed. And so, again, under the law of Moses' time, the Jews were very exclusively the people of God, and and others were not allowed to even participate. But Isaiah, 700 years earlier, 700 years before Christ, Isaiah said, all nations shall flow unto it. Um, and we know that's what happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think about the promises given to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 before Israel becomes a mighty nation through him. You know, we have uh, God's promise that through his seed, all the families of the earth would be blessed. In uh, Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, he says, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all families of the earth shall be blessed. So right at the begin in the beginnings, you yeah. have God dealing with yeah. man, the patriarch, and this happened to be Abraham yeah. and uh, or Abram at the time. And God is making his covenant with him that through his seed, all families of the earth. So not there. just his seed, but all nations there. Through thy seed, all nations be blessed. Uh, uh, again, pretty pretty incredible that Isaiah would prophesy that. Uh in, these, in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning verse 13, Ephesians 2, verse 13. Now in Christ Jesus, ye, that is Gentiles, who sometimes were far off, made are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Uh, and so, again, that distinction between Jew and Gentile was removed I don't think Isaiah, writing on his own, would have would have said that. But by inspiration, he said, "All nations will flow into it." Um, in re, in regards to that, uh, Kent says representatives from all nations would be included. Uh, Romans chapter one, verses sixteen, seventeen. Uh, Paul says the gospel is the power of God and salvation to all to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Uh, uh, and then he references also Colossians 1, verse 23. Uh, I think also the, you can see the barrier broken down uh, in Galatians chapter 3, uh, where the Apostle Paul is talking to the brand at Galatia. And ver- starting at verse 26, he says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave or free nor free there is neither male nor female for you're all one in christ jesus and if you are christ then you're abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise yeah so that yeah. barrier has been done away with exactly right Jew and gentile right um grant says who would be included all the nations many people on that day quote there were jews living in jerusalem devout men from every nation under heaven Unquote, who heard the gospel. From that point, the gospel spread from Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth, as you referenced earlier, Bob. So all nations would flow unto it. 
Why is this important? Uh, uh, this text will also tell us why this would be important and needed. It, the, the text there, and if he, again, we're Isaiah 2, verses 2 and 3. It says, as a result of all this, we will walk in his path. Uh, now, I believe that that denotes that because of what God is going to do with these plans, people would be able to have fellowship with God. We will walk in his paths. We will be in fellowship with God. Um, and that kind of terminology does exist. For instance, in Hebrews chapter 8, in Hebrews chapter 8, beginning verse 8, uh, finding fault with the first covenant, the Lord said, and he quotes, he quotes Jeremiah uh, 31, uh, he says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. And so uh, God said, I'm going to make a new covenant. It'll be, and, and I'll have an intimate relationship with those who are under this new covenant. And so I believe that's what Isaiah was referring to when he says we will walk in his paths. Right. So, I mean, is, uh, so the question is why, why would that be an important development, an important and needed development? Uh, uh, Kent in Georgia says, because salvation from sin is found within this kingdom church. Now, I think that's an important point that he's making here. So this is going to, we're going to be, we're going to be with God. We're going to be, we're going to be in, in fellowship with God. Where's that all going to take place? It's going to take place in this thing that, that Isaiah says God's going to establish. God's going to establish his house. He's going to do it in the last days. It's going to begin in Jerusalem. All will be able to come to it because all need salvation. The reason why this was so significant is because it addressed man's deep spiritual need. Grant says, uh, this is important and needed that God may teach us concerning his ways, that we may walk in his path, because the gospel is the power to save, Romans 1, 16 and 17, which states, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. The gospel is the power or dynamite of God for salvation to everyone who believes. God's plan for making man righteous is revealed in the gospel. All right, we're up, we're really up uh, to a break, but I want to get the the last point in this, and then we're gonna we're gonna switch gears and go to another prophecy of Isaiah. How was this going to happen? Uh, the the question I asked was, how would people respond to what God was planning to do? Isaiah is talking about what God is planning to do in the establishment of the church. How would men respond to that? Well, notice in our text, Isaiah two verses two and three. The, the word is going to go out and say, come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. So there's going to be an open invitation. In other words, I don't have to wait for some special personal uh, initi- uh, 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 invitation. I just have to take the initiative and act because I've been invited. 
And all, all I have to do is come and participate. This sort of reminds you of the, the invitation that Jesus offered in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 30. Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Uh, so uh, there's going to be an open invitation, but if you want to participate in this that Isaiah was prophesy, prophesying about that came to pass when the church was established, you've got to take the initiative. Um, Kent says individuals would have the opportunity to accept the invitation and obey the conditions or reject such and remain lost. And I think that's exactly right. Uh, Grant says many people will come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the house of the Lord. We see in Acts 2 when the kingdom was established and how one was told to respond to the gospel. Acts chapter 2, beginning verse 36 through 38. Uh, and, and people did. Uh, 3,000 that very same day. So the the way that people would respond is that they would take the initiative to come and be a part of what Isaiah was prophesying and what God did in the last days from in Jerusalem. Any any thoughts on that? Any any additional thoughts, Bob? Before we take a break. Um, yeah, I think we could tie it into the, the the reason or the importance of man coming to that is for salvation. We know that all of sin fall short of the glory of God. And that the wages of sin is death, which is a spiritual separation from God. And when that last day occurs, many people, sadly, will not uh, accept the, the power of the gospel by obeying it. And so there's that uh, separation that's eternal. But the church is important because we learn uh, at the end of Acts chapter 2, that those who are saved are added. Again, the Lord adds them to it. It says, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who are being being saved. So what Isaiah is prophesying is important because man needs fellowship with God. And God is the one that adds us to that when that message is received by faith. Exactly right. But, but it's interesting. It's not It's not like some of our religious friends teach that, it's sort of predestined. You're you're a chosen one. Therefore, it's really not up to you. God chooses you. He draws you. You just you just almost robotically respond. Whereas the prophecy and the reality, when the church was established, was the message is preached. You decide whether you're going to accept it or reject it. So right. it, so you've got to, You've got to come as as Isaiah's prophecy say. You have to come and go to the house of the Lord. All right, neat prophecy in Isaiah chapter 2 about the establishment of the church. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to go to another well-known text in Isaiah in chapter 5. If you've got your Old Testaments open, turn to Isaiah chapter 5. We're going to be looking at, at some statements in Isaiah chapter 5 in which Isaiah pronounced woes uh, upon the people of God of that day because of the things they were doing. And I'm going to tell you, it it sounds like, he could be talking about our day and time. Stick with us. We'll be right back uh, after these uh, messages on the virtual Bible study. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. My name is Rick Harris, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. I hope you'll join me and many others in this weekly Internet Bible study group. Be sure to listen every Thursday night. This is Greg Glenn with this week's bullet point. 
Surely you've seen them, those drivers who are so busy talking and texting on their cell phones that they sit through a green light or ignore some other important traffic situation. We've even seen people talking on their cell phones and eating a sandwich all while driving the car. Driving is serious activity that demands our devoted attention. Things like cell phones and sandwiches tend to distract us, making driving even more dangerous. Published statistics clearly point out the dangers of distracted driving. When two or more such distractions are added together, watch out. An accident is sure to follow. Now, make a spiritual application. Living life in this world is a very serious activity. It demands our undivided attention. The problem is that we too often allow ourselves to be distracted by the things of this world. When that happens, a spiritual accident is sure to follow. And we're not just talking about the sinful things that can distract us. Certainly there are plenty of those. Wickedness abounds in our society, and we're confronted with multiple temptations every day. Constant vigilance is certainly necessary. But in addition to these things, there is the danger that we might get so busy with the non-sinful activities of our day-to-day lives that we might forget what our main pursuit is supposed to be. Our jobs, our families, our recreation, and a host of other things can crowd God out of our lives. Add two or three such distractions together, and you are simply a spiritual accident looking for a place to happen. Be careful. Stay focused. Philippians 3, verse 13, beginning says, Reach forth into those things which are before, and press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. And we're back on the virtual Bible study. We want to remind you that the virtual Bible study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us by going to our website, collegeview.com. I always remind people College View is spelled funny. C-O-L-L-E-G-E-V-U-E, College View. So check us out at collegeview.com. There's all kinds of resources. Kyle, we still got more and more, uh, study and sermon resources on our YouTube channel, the link there at collegeview.com. What do we got going right now? Yeah. Well, there's, uh, of course, we're studying, uh, I think, uh, Philippians and our hey, Philippians. Bible study. Yeah. That's, um, there's a massive amount of stuff on our, on our YouTube channel and always good to add accent to your Bible study. So it's always a lot of good stuff on there. Yeah. Uh, I get <clears throat> I get comments from people from different places around uh, all over talking about, well, I saw that sermon or uh, I took in that Bible class. It's a really good resource, uh, and so check it out. Kyle is, Kyle is our, our video streaming guru, and he does a really great job on that. So we always remind you, too, remember there's two separate channels here. There's the channel that you're watching right now if you're watching live or even if you're watching in the archive version. We have the virtual Bible study channel on youtube but we have a separate channel called college view live stream so you get exclusively here you get what we're doing tonight we you get the virtual bible study and you can watch it live on thursdays or you can just as soon as the live program is over it's immediately there in an archive and so you can go back and a lot of people do go back and watch it later uh, but that's the virtual bible study channel on youtube and we've got a whole separate channel on College View live stream, so check that out as well. Uh, we're talking about some things that Isaiah said, and I just keep being personally impressed with the, the kind of things that he said that are so applicable to our time, and he did it so long ago, just shy of 3,000 years ago. Uh, Isaiah prophesied and just said some 
really incredible things about the future. We picked out a couple. We talked in the first half of the program, we talked about his prophecy about the coming of the church, when and where and how that was all going to happen. He was exactly right, of course. I thought here in this last part of the program, Bob, what we would do is look to chapter 5 of Isaiah. And in chapter 5, Isaiah mentions several woes, but I think what's really interesting, he's talking to the people of God. He's not talking to some some outlandish alien foreigners someplace. He's talking to the people of God, and he's condemning them and talking about the woe or trouble that's coming because of their unfaithfulness. Right. And so uh, I think the, the, the quick tie-in for us is, well, we're trying to be the people of God today. That doesn't mean that we can just lay down on the job or, or do whatever we want or ignore our duties. Even if we're the people of God, we, we've still got to be accountable to him and do the right thing. That's right. Uh, even though there are woes given to them specifically, I, we, we can definitely get the principles out of it. Today. Exactly right. Uh, and, and this would go to the the false doctrine that's prevalent in the world that if you're a saved person, then you're a saved person. Once saved, always saved. That's not, that's not true. There's so many ways to prove that it's not true. But make the application here. Isaiah was talking to people who were in a covenant relationship with God, but they were in danger. Right. And we can be in danger, too. It's, it's not once saved, always saved. So let's talk about these. The first one is from chapter 5. These will all be in chapter 5 of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 8, Woe to those who add house to house and join field to field until there is no more room. The Lord of hosts has sworn, Surely many houses shall become desolate and even great and fine ones without occupants. So it seems to be, Bob, that what the problem was there is that they were valuing material things more than valuing God and godly things. So they had houses, houses joined to houses, fields, buying, buying up more property, fields joined to fields. Uh, uh, but they had ignored God. And that's a big problem. Yeah. Even for Christians today, we're like you bring out several times in various classes that, you know, we live in a affluent society. Very we're so blessed. So. Yeah. And, I think that's a one great temptation that we have. If we have so much, uh, all this abundance, it takes away, it will take away our time, our yeah. energies, you know, our, our resources. And if we're not careful, we're focused on it. If and that's where our value is, if that's what Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, that's where our treasure is. Mm-hmm. That's where our heart's going to be, he said in, in, in Matthew chapter 5. I thought it was interesting that Moses had actually warned the children of Israel about uh, forgetting God in their prosperity. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 10, it shall be, this is Deuteronomy 6, verse 10, it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto the fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things which thou fillest not, and wells digged which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees that thou plantest not, when thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware, lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. So God understood a, a, a human characteristic is it's easy to forget about spiritual things when you're abundantly blessed 
in physical things. That's a great danger. And by the time Isaiah is prophesying here, that's apparently what the the Jews had done. Yeah, and that's the danger for us today. Uh, Again, if our focus uh, gets out of whack, you may say, uh, God expects us to put him first in all things. And we need to exercise our minds and our hearts on putting him first on a consistent basis. And when you have so many things that's out there that grabs your attention, it's easy for our focus to get out of out of sync. Yeah, I think you're exactly uh, right. You know, Paul encourages us to to look on things that are above, not on earth. Yeah, in Colossians chapter three, verse five, Paul says, "Mortify or put to death, therefore, your members which are upon the earth: fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry." Covetousness, Paul says, is a form of idolatry. You know, I'm not going to go out here and carve an image and bow down to it and offer sacrifices to this image that I have created. They they did that in Old Testament times. I'm I'm, I'm way past that. I'm not going to worship an idol like that. But really, I am if I'm worshiping money and the things that money will buy. That's right. Anything we put before God would ultimately become our idol. Yeah. Let's grab our last break. We're going to take one more break. And when we come back, we're going to go quickly to the top of the hour, talking about these woes that Isaiah uh, announced against the people of God in his day that are really applicable in our day as well. Stick with us. We'll be right back after these comments. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement. Hi, my name is Bob Tidwell, and I want to remind you that the Virtual Bible Study provides a great opportunity to use your computer for something good. So turn off the TV and gather your family around the computer each Thursday night for the Virtual Bible Study. We're tracking the trends on the Virtual Bible Study. In a recent survey, more than four out of five respondents who are ages 18 through 39, they were respondents who professed an affiliation with some religion, but they stated that Muhammad, Buddha, and Jesus all taught valid ways to God. Even among so-called born-again Christians, only 30% in that age group, again, 18 through 39, agreed with the biblical position that Jesus is the only way to God. That information is via probe.org. The Word of God says in John 14, verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The Virtual Bible Study. Take it away, guys. And we're back for the final segment of our Virtual Bible Study for Thursday night, November the 18th, 2021. We're talking here in this last section about some really impressive warnings that the prophet Isaiah gave to the people of God in his day that seemed like he could be talking to our day. Here's another one. Isaiah 5. Oh, by the way, the first one, the first one we just mentioned, the first woe, Kent says, is pronounced against greed, avarice, and covetousness. A spiritual application can be made today against greed and being caught up in materialism. That's what we were just talking about. Here's the next one in Isaiah chapter 5. All these from Isaiah chapter 5. In verse 11, woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may pursue strong drink and stay up late in the evening that wine may inflame them. And their banquets are accompanied by lyre and harp with tambourine and flute and by wine. But they do not pay attention to the deeds of the Lord, 
nor do they consider the work of his hands. Uh, I'll read Kent's comment here real quickly. This second woe is directed against drinking of alcoholic beverages. The same principle applies today regarding alcoholic consumption, which is sinful. I think Kent's exactly right. Certainly he's talking about the drinking of wine there. And I would take it maybe even a step further, not only wine, but just sort of the party spirit. Uh, These were carnal people who were living for the momentary, immediate, fleshly gratification that they could get. Um, I was reminded uh, about an old commercial that some young people probably don't even know what we're talking about. But back 50 years ago, uh, there was an ad campaign by the Slitz Beer Company saying you only go around once in life, grab for all the gusto you can get. Uh, now, that was an ad campaign for that specific beer company, but boy, a lot of people live by that principle. I want to, I want to, I want to enjoy everything I can in this moment. I only go around once and I want to enjoy everything I can. But I want to tell you, people who are wise recognize the folly of that. But it's not a new idea, Bob. This, this idea, live for the moment, drink, party, just, you know, gratify yourself. That's not a new thing. That's been around a long time. Right. And uh, I'm afraid some of God's people are, are kind of accepting the idea of social drinking. Oh, yeah. As being something that's uh, uh, permissible, which it's not. Uh Peter would tell us in First Peter chapter four verse three, he says, "For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles, when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries." And he talks, you know. So he said, "We need to put this kind of stuff off." You know, exactly. Right. He includes what you said, drinking parties. Yeah, and, and, and he yeah. says we basically Peter there says we've waste we wasted enough time in the past doing that we right. we've been called to a higher to a higher plane. That's that's right. Exactly right. Let's go quickly. We're going to run out of time. The next woe is in chapter five at verse eighteen, Isaiah five verse eighteen, beginning woe to those who drag iniquity with the cords of falsehood and sin as if with cart ropes. Who say, let him make speed, let him hasten his work that we may see it. Let the purpose of the Holy One of Israel draw near and come to pass that we may know it. Now, this is, this is maybe a little bit tougher wording, but I believe what Isaiah is describing here is people who were fully involved in sin. And when he says they, they drag iniquity of the cords of falsehood and sin with cart ropes, it's almost like they'd made a harness for themselves so that they'd be able to haul around more of their sin and iniquity. And so I, I think that's the idea. They're so intensely involved in the pursuit of these worldly activities that they, they'd even rigged themselves up so that they could carry more around with them of this evil. And not only that, uh, but uh, th- then they sort of mocked at the idea that God would ever punish them. Let him hasten his work that we may see it. Let the purpose of the Holy One of Israel draw near and come to pass that we may know it. In other words, I think they're even... Mo- so they're fully involved in their sin, dragging it around with ropes, and then mocking at the idea that God might ever judge them for that. Right. Uh, sounds mm-hmm. kind of familiar to today, doesn't it, Bob? Oh, yeah. Uh, that uh, kind of reminds me... Uh, what Paul tells us in Galatian, the, the Galatian letter, uh, let me get over there. 
Let's see. He talks about the, the idea of uh, what we sow in life. In verse 7 of Galatians 6, he says, do not, be, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever man sows, that he shall also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will the Spirit reap everlasting life. Yeah. So, so what, what are you sowing? What are you going to reap? That's right. And God knows what we're, what we're doing. Exactly we're right. Sowing. Exactly right. And again, that, that sounds like a, what Isaiah was prophesying Close to 3,000 years ago, it sounds like he could have been writing about modern-day America. Let's look at another one. All of these, I th- what's really impressive, this is all right together in Isaiah chapter 5. Uh, here in verse 20 then, Isaiah 5 verse 20, this is a familiar, this is a familiar verse. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute, substitute bitter for sweet, and sweet for bitter. Uh, Kent in Georgia says here uh, that this woe uh, is uh, pronounced upon those who cause confusion between sin and righteousness. The same warning is set forth in the New Testament in Second Peter 2, verse 14. So uh, they call evil good, and they call good evil. I going to tell you, that's... That is really happening in our day and time. Yeah. So yeah. let's let's just take, for instance, the sin of homosexuality. Who are the bad guys in our world today? Uh, anybody that speaks out against it. Yeah. So if you if you call evil evil, then you're the bad guy. The the ones who the the the, the supposedly enlightened people of our day call evil good. They say that's a good thing, or abortion. Yeah, that's a that uh, a more horrendous evil can hardly be imagined than the sin of abortion. But our country and our world, for that matter, but our country in particular, is filled with people saying it's a good thing, and they fight to defend the right of of people to kill unborn babies. They call evil good, and they call good evil. They call those of us who speak out against this. We're the bad guys. We're the evil guys. So that expression, that familiar expression from Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. I'll tell you, that is exactly what's going on in our world today. It certainly is, and it, and it seems like it's more prevalent as, as our day and time continues on. I think so. Any thoughts on that, Kyle? You know, especially with abortion, it's a, a sin that is so obvious, uh, the murder of a child who has no sin, who has who's done nothing wrong to be put in that situation other than existing. And it's, they, of course, it's uh, twisted into a right that it's their right to, uh, but yes, it's all things that are considered evil. You're you're just weird if you don't participate. Yeah. You're weird if you don't think it's good. So, yeah. yeah. They just it just has absolutely things are backwards or upside down. Mm-hmm. Just I mean the the way people are, are dealing these days. But again, you got to be impressed. This is not a new phenomenon. It's been around a long time. Isaiah was talking about it so long ago. 
quickly before we run out of time. Here's another woe. Chapter 5, verse 21. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Uh, <laughs> he's kind of describing people there, Bob, who think they're so smart, you know. And mm-hmm. so when we, when we come to the Bible and when we just lay out simple, plain Bible facts and information, there's some people who think that we're just sort of foolish buffoons. You know, we're, 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 we're taking the blind leap of faith. We, we don't even have the capacity to think things through on our own. We just mindlessly follow the party line. They, they, on the other hand, they're wise in their own eyes. They're clever in their own sight. Right. That sure happens. Well, uh, as we studied uh, last night in Philippians, uh, go back to remind ourselves in Philippians chapter 2, in verse 3, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself, and let each one, and let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. We, we discussed that last night yeah. in our Bible study. Uh, vain conceit or vain glory uh, is nothing but boasting of ourselves, and uh, man really has no room to boast at all because of the condition he's in. That's yeah, sin. Exactly right. Paul said, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verse 19, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so uh, Isaiah was talking about it. Paul was talking about people who get so highfalutin in their imagination of themselves that they can't accept the reality of God. Well, in that same chapter you looked at, you know, the wisdom of this world is in complete opposition of the wisdom of God. You know, when uh, those who are very highly educated in the wisdom of human reasoning, they look at the cross of Christ as something, you know, foolish. Yeah, exactly right. Kent says on this point, this fifth woe is pronounced against those who have deceived themselves into thinking that they know more than God. Individuals need to remember uh, that this is a danger in our day as well. And he references that text I was just reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning verse 18. All right, we're just all but out of time. The last woe here in chapter 5, the sixth of six woes in Isaiah chapter 5, Isaiah 5.22. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine and men of strength to, to mingle strong drink. Now, the idea of this is, these these people thought that they were so strong that they could handle it. I can handle. I can drink. I can I can drink wine. I can drink strong drink, and it won't affect me. I may I can I can handle it. And so the specific sin was the consumption of alcohol. But I'm telling you, people have that attitude about lots of things. So I I can go to R-rated movies, and it doesn't really bother me. I can handle it, you know. Or or I, you know, I can gamble. Uh, but I, I, I don't let it, it'll never get a hold of me. You know, I, I, I'll never get addicted to gambling. I'm stronger than that. And Isaiah seemed to be pointing out that people in that day were imagining that they could, could be so strong that these, these evils wouldn't get a hold of them. But I'm going to tell you, every drunk, every alcoholic, every drug addict 
thought this. It won't happen to me. Uh, uh, right. But it, 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 it could be any kind of a sin that gets a hold of us and, and takes control of our lives. Yeah, it seems instead of fleeing away, and we have examples, you know, where the Apostle Paul would teach about fleeing, uh, fleeing uh, youthful lust or fleeing fornication and the like. Uh, instead of running away from it, People want to get as close as they can to it yeah. without getting burned, and that's you know that's just wrong it's way of thinking. Super dangerous. You're exactly yeah. right. Uh, Kent in Georgia, thanks, Kent, for all your good comments tonight. He says uh, uh, he 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 focuses on the drinking of the wine and the strong drink uh, and the perversion of justice brought about by that. Uh, he references the text you read earlier. Bob from First Peter four verses three through five, uh, and and that text discusses the fact that there are levels of intoxication, uh, uh, is spoken of as excess and banquetings. Uh, he says if it takes ten drinks to become really loaded, then one drink makes one ten percent drunk, and that's a point that I think a lot of people don't want to deal with. But I think he's exactly right. All right, we're out of time, but I just, uh, I'm just so impressed with the whole book of Isaiah and the specific prophecies that Isaiah worded. And I just, I, I probably have worn out this theme in our study tonight, but it's so impressive that the things that he talked about so long ago are so clearly applicable to us today. Indeed, the world has not really changed. And not changing much. much. We haven't come very far, have we? Bob, thanks for helping out on the virtual Bible study tonight. Sure thing. Appreciate it. Kyle, thanks for your work. Yeah, good job. It was a good study. All right. Uh, we want to make a quick announcement about next week. Next Thursday evening is Thanksgiving. And uh, the, in the early years of the virtual Bible study, we would just try to buck the trend and go ahead and have a, a, a study on Thanksgiving night, even though we were pretty sure that not many people would be listening. Uh, in recent years, we've sort of yielded on that and given up. And so we'll be with our families that night as well. So no program next Thursday night on Thanksgiving. Lord willing, we'll return two weeks from tonight with our next edition of the Virtual Bible Study. We hope you'll be listening then. Until that time, read and study your Bible. Live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.